Sorry, Clinton, it's your turn to do the intro. So don't fuck it up. <laughs> Welcome to Murder Brunch. We're the Murder Brunch Bunch. You two tales of mayhem and murder and discuss where a killer lies on Dr. Michael Stone's scale of evil. Yeah. Perfection. Dangerously good. Yep. Like, I'm going to down about five of these without realizing I'm drunk. It's like light. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that is good. Right? It's like fresh. <laughs> It's um, it's it's just really light, like it's like juice, you know. Moscato sangria. The recipe says it's gonna serve eight people. Mm. I disagree. <laughs> I, I, it feels like we should be like at a luxury hotel. That's what I go for here. Yeah. Oh, and don't forget, there's the uh, cheese and fruit board. As yes, well. there's a cheese and fruit board. There's tartlets. There's tarts. There's Danish and cookies and. and Chips and all kinds of Chips stuff. and four different hummuses. There's some roasted garlic. And most importantly, there's some butter in an adorable whale dish and some honey in an adorable honey pot. Mm-hmm. It's a very summery kind of feel. Yeah, all the fruit. Mm-hmm. I apologize, there's no potatoes of any kind, so your typical breakfast starch is not mm-hmm. present in this meal. I think we'll be okay. But please eat my sourdough loaf and biscuits. Clinton. <laughs> Tart. Mm-hmm. Please eat of my loaf. <laughs> the sangria is something else. It is super good. <laughs> I've never had a green one. Me either. And I'm like, oh, this looks good. Because I don't really like sangria all too much. It's supposed to be sweeter, but it still tastes very whiny to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. But this is made with Moscato, and I like Moscato. So. Mm-hmm. This wine is actually called, it's an apple Moscato, and it's called Fruit Scotto. No, if we uh, polish off that pitcher. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to be a, a good fun <laughs> discussion. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of boozy fruit to be had. I really want to try this because I don't know what it is. I, it looks like it could be a potato in there or cheese. <laughs> I don't know. A potato. I mean, it's sweet. Are you sure? Yes. Eat it. What's the green stuff then? Mint? Lime? Ooh, I should have added it's some probably lime. I'm not going to eat it, cheese. but it's lime cheesecake or something like that. Oh, key lime. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's the ticket. Sorry. <laughs> I'm already a little You're so angry at that cheesecake. <laughs> that was a potato. <laughs> Screw you, cheesecake, telling me you're a potato. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like cheesecake to pretend they're not what they're not. It's just trying not to get eaten. Yeah, I know. I'm just I'm a potato. potato. I'm a potato. Are we I'm ready? Like I'm ready. All right, go. <laughs> well, okay then. <laughs> We're just going to go into the stories now. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Uh, The place. Sayville, New York. The time, the 1990s. Vivian Miranda is a single mom with three teenage daughters. Serena, the oldest. Charity, the middle child. And Elizabeth, the baby of the family. They were a very close-knit Hispanic family and Vivian was especially close to her father. So when her marriage ended, she moved to Sayville with her daughters and parents to all live together. They ended up moving into what is called a high ranch house. So that's like, it's got like an apartment on the bottom and then an apartment on the top and it's uh, connected by a stairwell. Okay. Okay. So it's like a two story house, but it's, there's a little bit more separation there. Okay. Uh, Vivian's parents lived upstairs and she with her daughters lived on the lower level. All four were described as beautiful and laid-back ladies. They had a very friend-like relationship altogether, 
And the girls were very popular and active, participating in dance and cheer and etc. So how old were all of her daughters? They're like teenagers. Okay, so no like babies or anything like that. Okay. Around the time the girls were in high school, Vivian began a job at a holistic slash new age store and started to delve into the hippie kind of lifestyle with spiritualism and energy healing and whatnot. New age. Yep. Uh, Gotta sage that house. All right. But this did not sit well with her mother, the matriarch of the family. She was a devout Catholic and the new age practices deeply disturbed her. Mm. Is this a ghost story? No. (laughs) What podcast are we doing? (laughs) But whenever a confrontation might arise, Vivian's father, who everyone in the family seemed to absolutely adore, would act as a buffer of sorts, calming everyone down, diffusing the arguments, I don't know, telling people to go back to their home levels. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Which it does seem like this is a very lady-heavy family with... Oh, yeah. Like, so we've got the grandmother, the mother, three daughters, and this one. And that poor bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, in 1997, he was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis and only given a year to live. As he deteriorated, Vivian took on the role as caregiver for him. She was heartbroken and terrified... Because she was afraid that that if her father died, her mother would then throw her and her kids out on the street. Because apparently she did not ever have a good relationship with her mother. Wow. I mean, I thought it was just this job thing. But, I mean, obviously they didn't... Like, if it's that big of a fear. No, like, someone actually said, oh, or she didn't like Vivian. Like, the mother didn't like her. Oh. Yeah. That's it's sad. Weird. What about her grandkids, though? She doesn't like her grandkids either? Who knows? They're all. Do we have a name for the mom? Uh, Emma. Oh wait, yeah, the grandmother. Yeah. Yeah, Emma. And the grandfather's name is Sam. It is believed that as her father's condition worsened and she saw the one person she felt as a rock to lean on fade out of her life, Vivian's new age practices drifted more into trying to communicate with individual souls in hopes to connect with her dying father. She started practicing tarot cards. She became convinced that every little thing was a sign from him. Every little sound, every gust of wind would be some kind of message to her. This is after he's already passed? No. Oh, this is before he's even dead? Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. (laughs) As she became further involved in these alternate practices, alternative practices. You're right. I know. Just yeah, my brain. Okay. It's, it's working. It's working. Okay. Uh-huh. The little and hamster's running so hard. It is. You know, let me take another I think the hamster needs some more singer. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to take another cement singer. Yeah. Hamster juice. Mm. <laughs> that should help. Here we go. As she became further involved with these alternative practices, she communicated these beliefs to both her oldest daughter, Serena, and the youngest, Elizabeth. One could imagine that the two girls were impressionable and desperate to communicate with their grandfather, so they became more and more entrenched themselves. Serena more than Elizabeth. Charity, the middle child, though still close to her mother and sisters, did not get into the new age spiritualism stuff. She seemed to be living and enjoying a typical teenage life. She was doing well in high school, she did extracurricular activities, and even had an after-school job at the pizzeria. 
As the months went on, Vivian's practices became more and more obsessive, and she started experimenting with Santeria. I don't practice Santeria. Yes, you do. We've seen the chickens. I ain't got no crystal ball. <laughs> I think you actually... Don't you have a crystal ball somewhere? Uh, I might have a tiny little glass. Ball. Next to your tarot card? Next to my tarot card. <laughs> she began to build altars in the house and burning small offers... Like herbs, not animals. Okay. Yeah. She did not murder any animals that no, I know, know of. Jinx. You owe me a Coke. <laughs> I'm still going to keep on talking. Right. Uh, <clears throat> it was at this time that Vivian connects with a woman named Raven in Florida. Of course. So you know nothing but good comes from that. <laughs> and Raven claimed to be a witch of some what grand nature. Plus I love, so this is in like mid 90s ish mm-hmm. here so that's like the craft is a yeah. popular yes. movie at the time i i remember this time well of course. yes <laughs> were you raven I, I love the fact that her name is raven yeah <laughs> raven becomes vivian's spiritual counselor and mentor and establishes a certain influence over her life which ultimately leads raven to tell vivian that she believes vivian's mother emma is actually a witch and that she is performing counter spells to actively worsen Vivian's father's condition and harm the rest of the family. Oh no. From Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Named Raven. Yeah. Um, She relays this information to her oldest daughter, Serena, who was like, yeah, good (laughs) stuff. Yeah. So the two go upstairs to the grandparents' part of the house and start looking for evidence of witchcraft or the Santeria religion. Even though they're practicing Santeria themselves. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. Okay. It makes perfect sense, really. (laughs) Being that the grandmother was a very devout Catholic, there were plenty of religious paraphernalia everywhere. There were also claims of altars, but no one figured out who the altars were dedicated to. So in Santeria, you can have an altar dedicated to a saint for a certain reason, but in Catholicism, you can have something with a saint on it too. Yeah. So it, it kind of is like, if you're looking for something, you're going to find it, Yeah. right? And then there was the dollhouse. Oh no. <laughs> the grandmother had this big dollhouse that became a fixation for Vivian. She believed that her mother was somehow using the dollhouse to perform her malevolent spells over the family. And something never quite specified made Vivian conclude that the main target was her middle child, Charity. The one who's like, I don't even want nothing to do with this shit. Yeah. Yeah, the one who's like, I'm going to the pizzeria. I'll see you later. December 1997. Charity becomes sick. It's determined that she has mumps, but the family decides not to medically treat her, so she becomes worse and worse. Mm. Clinton does not agree with that. Not. (laughs) Modern medicine. I don't know anything about mumps. Is that an infection? No, it's, um... I mean, don't they have... It's viral, because that's one of the... the, Yeah, that's... So you get a vaccine vaccine now, right? Yeah. Okay. But it's painful, right? Like, I think I think it's like... I know it makes you swell up. And it, Isn't it the kissing red. disease? No, that's mono. No, that's mono. Mono. But no, mumps is supposed to be very painful. Like, your lymph nodes swell and heavily. Your joints, I think. That's and... a, I'm not a fucking doctor. Don't ask me. <laughs> 
So, of course, this fever is just the proof Vivian and Serena need to confirm that their suspicions that their grandmother was some kind of black witch. January 13th, 1998. Vivian's need to see signs becomes more pressing and elaborate. She started seeing messages in birds. So she would see birds flying in the sky in a certain way. Determine it was a sign of some kind. She would then tell Serena what she saw. And then Serena would go to the Bible and read the Bible and find out what that meaning of the sign was. Mm. Yeah, this thing good. At her father's funeral. If I I was Emma, I'd be like, you know what? I don't know what they're doing down there, but I should probably get out. I'm just going to lock this door. (laughs) (laughs) At her father's funeral, Vivian's paranoia came out in full force. She saw everyone who attended as some kind of enemy that her mother had invited as part of a coven with the main objective to harm her children. God, can you imagine you're at this funeral and because you like... You worked with Sam uh, 10 years ago or something like that. And you're like, man, I just want to pay respects to Sam. And I've got this crazy bitch saying that I'm a part of a coven. Yeah, really. That's not cool. It's not. It's not. It's not. Vivian, get your shit together. Get your shit together. Look at your life. Look at your choices. (laughs) (laughs) You took a roofie from a priest. (laughs) So for about five days following the funeral, Vivian does not sleep. And instead obsessively journals her thoughts. The last three of those five nights, Serena joins her, not sleeping and also journaling. January 18th, 1998. It was supposed to be Charity's first day back to work after three weeks of being sick, but she did not show for her shift that started at 5 p.m. At the end of the shift, around 8 p.m., Two of Charity's friends and co-workers drove by her house. They knocked on the door. There was no answer. But they heard the voices of Serena and Vivian arguing. The two girls left a handwritten note on Charity's window stating that they were worried about her and asking her to call them. Vivian's uncle, who was in town for the funeral, also went by the house. And though he saw movement inside, no one ever came to the door. They knocked on several different doors, several different times. Ultimately, he peers into the front door window and sees a body at the base of the stairs. He immediately calls the police. Good on you, uncle. When they arrive, they can see the body. They hear the music of Frank Sinatra just blaring through the house, which happens to be the grandfather's favorite music. (laughs) Okay. And what sounds like chanting. Again... My way, my way, my way. <laughs> I didn't get that ever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's what they would be chanting. Yeah. Anyway, his worst song. <laughs> Luck be a lady tonight. Did he? Does he fly me to the moon? He did do fly me to the moon. What hasn't he done? I don't know. Oh. He did, you could pretty much do any song, and that's Frank Sinatra. He was the chairman, chairman of the board, mm-hmm. the chairman of the, the chairman board. of the board. <laughs> <laughs> Erbigerd. Excuse me, I take another sip. <laughs> German of the bird. Ring Sinatra. Again, no one answers the door. So the police break in using crowbar. They find in the lower apartment the beginning of a hoarder's episode. Oh, Jesus. oh no! So they break into the lower apartment's door. So they didn't go through the front door. 
Okay. okay. They couldn't. They couldn't. For some reason, couldn't get in through there. So they went through the lower door where the they could hear the the music and the chanting coming from. Okay. But this is Vivian's apartment. This is Vivian's apartment. So everything was dirty. Trash was beginning to pile up. Just, just very much everything's in disarray. When they go into the main bedroom, Vivian's bedroom. The police find Vivian, Serena, and Elizabeth huddled together on the floor, praying and chanting. They are, are were so latched onto each other, the police report uses the word pry, as in they had to pry them off of each other. Mm. And then they took them outside and put them each in a separate police car to wait for detectives. As the crime scene is processed, it discovered that the body is Charity. Oh, no. I was... Damn it. I really didn't want that to be I case. really hoped it was the grandma. Well, I mean, honestly, <laughs> if I had to choose between the two of them. What happened is that as this as the day was going on and Vivian and her daughters were slipping farther and farther out of reality, Emma saw this and she's, she's like, I'm out. Oh, she just left. Yeah. She called her son and said, I don't know what's going on, but it oh. is freaking me out. So Vivian had a brother as well? Yeah. Okay. And then she stayed with him that night. So she left. Okay, so Emma wasn't there at all. Yes. So the body of Uncle Saul was charity. Yeah. Emma just she, out, she, she outed the fuck out of there. She died from the mumps. Now she's better. She's going to go back to work. Right. Stay tuned. <laughs> oh, God. While Serena is sitting in the car, an officer asks her um, some questions. And she answer to... I don't know what the sentence is that I read. <laughs> While Serena is sitting in the car, an officer asked her some questions, and her answer to what happened... There you go. ...was that Charity had a demon in her. Uh-huh. Charity was the victim of a supposed exorcism oh, performed no. by her sisters and mother. Oh, they tried praying over her. When it was determined that that was not working, they held her down until she stopped screaming and struggling. That was determined to not be working either. So Vivian told Elizabeth to go to her room, which she did. While Elizabeth was in her room, she started to dial 911. But it was one of those old 90s phones that you clicked on the button and goes beep. And she thought that the button sounds were going to be so loud that they would hear her. So she didn't do that. She tried to get out of her window. Again, she thought it would be too loud and that they were going to come in and that ultimately she would be next. So she's scared. She's 15 at this point. Yeah. So she just climbs into bed, pulls her covers over her head and hides. Meanwhile, Serena held Charity down as Vivian tried to smother her with a pillow. Oh my God. But ultimately, that didn't work. So... She used a plastic bag. Oh my God. To suffocate Charity to death. The whole ordeal took seven hours. Oh my God. From 3 p.m. to 10 19 p.m. Both Serena and Vivian were charged with Charity's murder. At the time of her death, she was 17. Serena was 20, Elizabeth was 15, and Vivian was 39. Serena pleaded guilty of second degree manslaughter. And was to spend between one and a half and four and a half years in prison. In February 1999, Vivian pleaded not guilty on grounds of insanity. Which, yeah, she was crazy, so I can understand that. She was paroled to a non-secure facility. Oh, no. 
After a short time, she was found to no longer be a threat to herself or others. What? And released. She moved to another state where apparently she lives there still. After Serena was released from prison, she moved away from Sayville, married, had kids, and lives a normal life. And Elizabeth changed her name and stopped any contact she had with her family. Well, I don't blame her. The end. Oh my God, that's horrifying. Horrifying. The idea of, of a mother killing her own child. Yeah. Like, and the sister helping, and poor Elizabeth in the next room could probably hear everything that's going on. Oh my gosh. I don't even know what to say about that. Yeah. I found some parallels between your story. Oh, sure. You know, where it's just like the religious fervor, mm-hmm. right? And they can't get out from under it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I will say, and, and again, me who typically goes into these stories having no knowledge of them at all, it didn't play out how I thought it was going oh, to. I, I definitely thought <laughs> Yeah, me either. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely thought the grandma was going to get it. And this is so much worse, in my opinion. Just because Charity was like, I don't know. You know, she was, she was just like, I didn't want to be a part of any of this. Just do your thing. I'm letting you do your thing. Just let me go to work and be a normal person. And Yeah, and she was the only one who seemed to be above it, you know. And she was very popular in school. And she had what seemed to be a very bright future. I mean, she was only 17. She was probably waiting until she'd be like, I'm getting the fuck out of here as soon as I have enough money and I get out of school. And then, gosh, that's just awful. Well, and the buildup. That's the difference because Severio's was very immediate. Mm -hmm. He obviously had chemical wiring issues, right? The schizophrenia and everything like that. But this woman was led down a path. and Yeah, it was a, a... a slow decline. Yeah. And she took everyone with her. And that's just awful. And she's out there. And that just... And I, I don't know. Like, I can... I can picture that scene, though. Like, how surreal, like, the Frank Sinatra mm-hmm. blaring, you know, a dead 17-year-old oh. on the foot of the stairs. And, like, these other women just chant. Like, it's so surreal. Mm-hmm. Like, that is... And you wonder, so if she, at the beginning, right, if she went to her daughters, Serena being the oldest, and she's like, so, you know, I'm doing these things and learning this stuff, and Serena is like, okay, sure, mom, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? If it wouldn't have gotten that far, right, because they didn't have, didn't have her, that, yeah, yeah was that um, a shared psychosis or whatever, because yeah. obviously that was going on when they all agreed that Charity was possessed in some kind of way. And even, like, I'm not going to say that I'm on board, but I could see being on board up to that point. It's like, okay, sure, she's possessed. But at some point, you reach this, we're now going to kill her. Like, that is the step where your mind should click and be like, this is too far. What are we doing? And to not have that moment of clarity, like... Well, even the whole... We need to do... Okay, so let's say Rachel has a demon in her. And who's to you say, say it I a don't. lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if we were to have a discussion and say, okay, we need to perform an exorcism, we're not going to be like, hey, I know how to do that. That's true. Like, I mean, if it was if it was Catholicism, we'd be like, we have to get a priest. Right. I'm not sure what the New Edge Age head shop recommends. Obviously, Vivian read a book and was like, I could take care of this myself, you know? But it's she was doing Santeria, right? Mm-hmm. Which has Catholic roots right. right but i don't know enough about santeria to know if like 
do you call in a third party for an exorcism? You know, or or is that something you're supposed to be able to do at home by yourself? I think she was winging it regardless. Fair <laughs> enough. I mean, probably because none of it is fucking real and she yeah. just killed her kid. You yeah. know, yeah. I mean, if, if you have to bring a plastic bag into it, you're not taking care of any demons. No. And also it's, it's one of those things where I want to know, like, what was Charity doing that made them feel like she had a demon? They never really made that clear. Right. Like, she well, wasn't speaking in tongues. She wasn't, you know, doing a crab walk down the stairs. Maybe it was recovering from the mumps. Like, maybe, maybe Vivian was like, this is what kills my daughter. It's very sad, but I could see it happening, you know, all this stuff. And then when she recovered, she's like, how did she get the supernatural ability to recover from this? You know? That's the only other event that's mentioned. Yeah. So... She feels like they're, the devil is helping her. Like, she sold her soul to get better. You know, something like that. Yeah. And I mean, like, the mumps was supposed to be, what, the, the, a spell against her from the grandmother. So, I don't know if she thought, like, the grandmother put a demon inside of Charity or, or, I, I'm not, I'm still not clear as to what their evidence was. Oh, she's got a demon in her. Right. Except for her getting better or being sick. Maybe her voice was hoarse one day. <laughs> so this seems like it will be another difficult one for the scale. I think I have a good... Who are we putting on the scale? Probably Vivian. Well, I have both. Vivian and okay. Serena? Yeah. Okay. I do. I have suggestions for both. But first, let's talk about the scale. Please. All right. So the scale we're referring to is the one devised by the fabulous Dr. Michael Stone, uh, in his book, The Anatomy of Evil, where he takes how, I don't know, vitriolic a crime is and Yikes. puts it on a scale. That's a word. <laughs> so we go from the category of one. Justifiable homicide. All the way up to the category of two, 22. I did it just like you did last time. <laughs> all the way up to category 22. Psychopathic torture murders with torture as their primary motive. The motive need not always be sexual. All right, and we're going to discuss where Serena and Vivian fall on it. In your head, you're like, don't say two, don't say, don't two. say two. <laughs> <laughs> two. All right, go ahead. All right, so I put Serena first as a level three, which is... Willing companions of killers, impulse-ridden, some antisocial trait. Because she really was following orders. Yeah. And then I put Vivian as a level five. Traumatized, desperate persons who kill relatives or others, yet have remorse. So this was, I put her in that because the trauma was losing her father. Mm. I mean, that, I mean, him becoming sick and then having a very slow and painful death and then ultimately dying really set up her. Yeah, it was definitely triggering events. Yeah. And then obviously she did not have a great relationship with her mother and it caused her some kind of misgivings. And being alone with her. So I don't know about that. So really it was, I believe she was that, she had that feeling of desperation that if she didn't do something, her family was going to be in danger. And then she misguidedly put all of that energy into charity. Well, I I mean, there is the case that they obviously did not kill again. So that we know of. So I would assume there is some remorse there. Like they... Oh yeah, no. She, of course, didn't... Her remorse is that, of course, her her daughter is gone. However, she she still had the mindset that it wasn't her daughter anymore. Like Vivian still believes that, do you know? I don't know. I mean, obviously, they let her go, and they gave her a diagnosis of being cured or whatever, so... I do wonder, like... Well, well, so first, 
I think this will end up ultimately being a short discussion because it seems that these two levels were written for these two women. Mm. Like, they seem to fit there pretty perfectly. But I... I wonder if this is one of those cases where it's like you were saying, where it's like, this was it, though. This was the only person they intended to kill ever because of the circumstances around it. Like, it's not... They would not move on to be serial killers. Well, I mean, look at it this way. If they hadn't been caught by the cops, is that true? What if they had started to see demons in other people? Or saw a demon in Elizabeth? Or something like that? And maybe it would have, but it just seems like this was all very related to what was going on in the family and like you said like her dad dying Mm -hmm. and maybe they would have only killed charity i don't really know what they were planning on doing next but like i don't i don't think they knew (laughs) yeah also big old chant party (laughs) also i i kind of see it as you know how um you find those cases where the toxic relationship and, you know, this dude, this bad dude meets up with this bad chick and together they go on yeah. a killing spree. And if they had not met each other, perhaps it never would have happened. Mm-hmm. I think it's like if Vivian did not have Serena who fed into her delusions, then it probably nothing would have happened. So now that they are separated, because from all accounts that I've I've read, nobody in the family has anything to do with each other anymore. Yeah. Um, it's almost like the diffusing of whatever psychosis or whatever Right, the mass hysteria trigger, that they fed into each yeah. other. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. I guess that there is nowhere else they would really... F- unless you believe in demons, and then they would be justifiable homicide. So I, guess, I don't think <laughs> we really, we're really of that kind of nature, are we? Well, even if it... Let's say I, I do... I don't think Charity was possessed. I'm saying if you do think Charity was possessed, <laughs> that's what I was kind of going That's for. true. That could be the angle here. She could okay. have been possessed. I'm going to argue that. The We're grandmother say... <laughs> could have possessed her. Um, no, I agree. I agree with, um, what was it, three and five? Three and five. Um, I, don't, I, almost think, I almost think Serena should also be at five. Because to me, Elizabeth would be a three. Someone who kind of follows along with what's going on. She was she was told to get out of the room, but she was also in the basement or whatever chanting with them when the cops showed up. So obviously, Elizabeth, I feel like, was kind of brought along. I think Serena had a little more say in what was going, to have, was, what was going on. Yes. I can't put Elizabeth on the scale, though. No, no. I'm not putting like, Elizabeth on the scale. Okay. Yeah. But um, I'm just saying that if you were going to... I would, I would think they would both be fives. Serena and hmm. Vivian. I do kind of have to, like, just try to imagine that dynamic of your mother going crazy here and then, like, like, are you just along for the ride hoping it'll placate her or, like... She held Charity right. down while they were doing... While her, Vivian was smothering her. That's a little more than just saying, okay, mom, whatever you want to do today, let's... You know what I mean? It's... Well, I mean, unless it's, like, her mom says, hold her down. And then she said, okay, mom. I know, but it wasn't, like... Like, Serena wasn't... 10 she was 20 something right. she was old enough to when you're brainwashed you're brainwashed right and the thing with her was there was never any indication that it was any of it was her idea you know like even the santeria it wasn't her idea as her mom brought it to her the investigation of the grandmother's apartment wasn't her idea her mom took her along with her you know that kind of thing the exorcism wasn't her idea. You know, her mother told her, oh, your sister has a demon. We have to do this. You sure of all that? That is what I have gathered from what I read. Okay. And seen. 
I, Although, I mean, if you didn't bring this up, we wouldn't have much of a debate. It would well, just be like, yes, <laughs> three and five. I was just, I'm just saying, you said from the very beginning she treated her daughters more like friends than like her children. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she and Serena were partners rather than Vivian was in control the whole time. They fed off each other, but I think Serena might have had a little more pull than we're giving her credit. So it's just an idea. Mm-hmm. But I'm fine putting them at three and five. All right, so are we decided? Three and five? I am for it. Let's put it on the board. We've never had a three or a five. How exciting. I bring all the new stuff. But we are close to Riley Gall, that shithead, and uh, over, the and sisters and Hanny Schmidt Shaft, which are, you know, heroes in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Don't belong on the scale at all. No. You can put a star next to their names. Yeah. Okay, are we ready for story two? Let's do it. Okay. So uh, the, if you're new to our podcast, the second story is always either a unsolved crime or something that's not exactly someone we can pinpoint for a murder. So we don't put them on the scale. And so today I am doing the story of Hazel Drew. And we are going a little bit back in time to 1908. Wow. So this is a historical one. I enjoy the historical ones. I do too. They feel safer. Yeah. I mean, Serena and Vivian are out there and they're hearing us talk about them. You know, if they're obviously listeners to Murder Brunch. But, you know, Hazel, we're probably safe about So them. put some goat's blood on your door and <laughs> rest easy. Oh, I thought you said you didn't practice anything. <laughs> okay. On July 3rd, 1908, Hazel has been making plans to go to Lake George in the Adirondacks. And she's been talking about this for a month. She is going, she's going to go and spend July 4th weekend at a resort at a lake, and she's very excited about it. <laughs> I would be the same. But she needs a new shirt waist, which is, a, which is a type of shirt, basically, that goes over like your skirt a little bit. It's 1900, okay. Clinton. <laughs> Actually, a shirt waist it was like revolutionary in how yes. women dressed, because then you didn't have to have a full dress, and you can wear a shirt and a skirt. Yes, that is true. So it's 11 p.m., and she shows up at the seamstress's house because that's usually the shop is next to their house mrs schumacher and she's like can you please make me this shirt waist and mrs schumacher is like it's 11 p.m hazel get the fuck out (laughs) but hazel has a ton of cash not just to pay for the shirt waist but also to pay for a skirt that schumacher made for her like a week ago and so she went at 11 p.m yeah and so mrs schumacher is like all right i'll make you the shirt waist this is before they had that the revolution and you know Mm -hmm. eight day or five day (laughs) work week and it was the shirtwaist that she ordered from Mrs. Schumacher that Hazel's body is found in later in our story. But not the skirt? A different skirt. Because we just talked about how revolutionary it is that you can team it up with all kinds of different skirts. <laughs> I love separates. All right. Um, <laughs> she never made it to Lake George. Instead, Hazel went to her aunt's, who she was staying with at the time, quit her job from the Carries, which is a family she was a governess for. She quit her job that Monday. She packed a bag and went traveling. Her suitcase was packed with undergarments, a toothbrush, a nightgown, a comb, a handbag, and a Japanese kimono robe. The handbag contained a heart-shaped locket, a handkerchief, and a, a personal ad from the Troy newspaper of October 7, 1907, saying, Edward Lavoie has departed for Chattanooga, Tennessee, where he will remain all winter. So these are all the things that are in her purse. That is a lot to take in. Well, I mean, mostly it's toiletry stuff. And then she has this ad, this personal ad. I'm just It, it kind of sounds like she's going for a, a saucy time where it's just underwear yeah. and right. a kimono. Like this almost has the, the feel of like 
I'm going to talk up this trip to everybody I know with no intention of yeah. ever doing it. it it's and like, going to have that And go and get my jollies. Yes. <laughs> yes, you are along the right track. She saw a friend at Union Station who asked her, you know, Ooh, what are you up to, Hazel? And she was very evasive about her plans. Why do you want to know? What are you talking about? Uh, Where yeah, are you exactly. going? <laughs> exactly. Have you seen my new shirt waist? <laughs> <laughs> she had told her aunt she was going to Lake George with her friend Carrie, but... Carrie, not to be confused with the the family she worked the, for, which okay. were the Carries, which is C-A-R-Y-S. And they this, didn't have a lot of names no, to choose didn't. from back then. They did not. So she ran into her friend. So she was going to Lake George with her friend Carrie, but Carrie said she had never asked her to go with her to Lake George. So Hazel is making up all kinds of lies. You gotta at least tell your friends. Yeah. To be like, you gotta know, get those cover for me. Over the next couple of days, there are a few sightings of her. Someone saw her. Someone supposedly saw her on a trolley. They saw her back at the train station. She came back to the train station a couple times to check her bag. So it's almost like she wanted to go on this trip, but could, never really quite pulled the trigger. But so left her bag at the train station. But would leave her bag at the train station. Yeah. Hmm. And here was the thing. Hazel had secrets. Clearly. Yes. She was a domestic worker. She was a governess. But she always had money for the finest clothes, hosting parties, expensive luncheons, trips. But for all accounts, I mean, she was just she was just this governess. So where was all her money coming from? And her friends well, noticed that and talked about that. That actually is a direct quote from an article I read. She was a beautiful girl. She was blonde hair. She's 19 years old, blue eyes. She is reported as often turning men's heads. She, like, like lots of people thought she was adorable and pretty and cute. Not to sound super sexist or sure. anything but uh, I think we all know where beautiful governesses get their money <laughs> <laughs> well I mean you make it you make an interesting point which does come back into play a little bit yeah later. it sounds like she's somebody's side chick yeah she had no boyfriend that was that they knew of she was engaged at one point but that poor man. <laughs> <laughs> but he married she just wanted the ring <laughs> he married another woman when she was sick with the grip so what an ass I know she got real sick and he's like you know what fuck this I don't have time for this shit <laughs> Betsy over here is ready to play it out <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm good um <clears throat> she also when they were going through her belongings she oh had a- I'm sorry could you imagine that whole like uh I need the ring back because <laughs> but I'm so sick I know I need to dunk it in some alcohol for you and give it to Betsy what is the grip is that uh, what you said yes the grip is kind of like pneumonia I believe I think it's it, I think it's a lung like is you it get the it grip or the crip? No, grip. La grip. Because isn't it crip or something like that? It's something that babies got that was like... That's the croup. Oh, the croup. That's a coughing thing. Isn't it fun that all these weird... <laughs> yeah. And then there's the clap. And then there's the clap. <laughs> oh, and the grip is G-R-I-P-P-E. Yes. And is basically the flu. Yeah. The yeah. grip A. But <laughs> at the time when you didn't have any other kind of medicines, you could knock you out for a couple months. She also had a pin pal only known by C-E-S. Six letters had been found in her possessions, and they said things like, quote, Your merry smile and twinkling eyes torture me. Your face haunts me. Why can't I be contented again? You have stolen my liberty. Please don't forget a promise to write. When I reach Albany again, I will meet you at the tavern. I must see you soon or I'll die of starvation. Oh, that starvation? Is, yeah. That is 1908 sexting right there. Right there. <laughs> Send nudes. That's what it said at the bottom. <laughs> Weird. Um, and the trains in Union Station did do a regular run to Albany, so there was a, there there were theories that she was like psyching herself up to go to Albany to meet CES, and was just waiting for him to return because he says that you know the next time I'm in Albany. So anyway, what was the name of the person in the personal ad? Edward Lavoy. 
L-A-V-O-I. So you think that might be like a code? I mean, I don't know. The, the Edward Lavoy thing is very interesting. It like, is. Clearly she has it for a reason. But I also wonder, like, is it one of those things where the, it was written in such a way that it there's... I don't know. Double All of this meaning. is fascinating me. Good. I am loving this story. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> okay. So getting down to the question is, is this our innocent church-going governess, or is this no. our <laughs> child sex worker? Yeah. I don't so, think she's a sex worker. Not sex worker, but clearly privileged. Okay. She is... Uh, she's under she doesn't somebody. come from money. Like, I no, couldn't no. find anything about her parents or anything like that. She's, she's like, under yeah. somebody's umbrella. Yeah. All right. So on the night of the 7th, July 7th, the last men to see her alive were Rudolph... <laughs> this, is, this is a typo. It says humdrum. I know that's not his last name. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's Rudolph... <laughs> Oh, shit. Humperdinck. No, it's Rudolph, it's Rudolph, it's like Rudolph Hundren or something like that. But anyway. Can we call him Rudolph Hundrum? Rudolph Humdrum. Hey, guys. And <laughs> the last one this year were Rudolph Humdrum and Frank Smith. They saw her walking through town and she was supposedly going back to her uncle's house, her aunt and uncle's house. She said hello to him. Like, she knows Frank. She said, hello, Mr. Smith. And he's like, hello. And he turned to Rudolph and said, hey, that's the... Uh, uh, <laughs> hey, that's that girl I told you about. That's the Drew girl, yeah. So <laughs> She got secrets. <laughs> Hazel was supposedly heading toward her Uncle William Taylor's, which was the home she was staying at, or the home of the Sawalskis, which is where her little brother Willie was staying. Willie did not get along with their uncle, and so had ran off to stay with the Sawalskis. Ooh, ooh. But... On the seventh, as Why, she... you gotta go places in your mind. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot to take in there. One, you've got her who's staying with an right. uncle, and then you've got a nephew that really doesn't like him and won't stay with right. them. And like, I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot of characters. There's a lot of characters going on in this. Unfortunately, sometime after seeing Frank and Rudy and getting to her uncle's house, she was intercepted and taken to Teal Pond. All right, I'm gonna get to that in a second. But in the meantime, Willie was only seven years old. And when he was asked about the Sawalskis and the family he was staying at, he said that Mrs. Sawalski's son, Michael, who was, he was 20, he said he's big and naughty. That's a direct quote. Sources had reported that Michael was not at the farm the night Hazel died and, and was instead meeting up with Frank Smith, which is the guy on the road. Michael denies all of this. All right. He's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. But that's what Willie has said. So Michael had become a suspect at one point. Hazel, unfortunately, was found on July 11th. So that's quite a few days after the 7th. She was found floating in, the, in Teal Pond with blunt force to the back of her head, which was described as skull crushing. Wow. So it was pretty bad. There was no water in her lungs, which means she was thrown in after she died. And she was so bloated and decomposed that they could barely recognize her. Even her own dad couldn't really recognize her to confirm that it was her. He looked at the fillings in her teeth to decide if it was actually Hazel. Yeah, it was really That's it was sad. Really okay, so let's talk about the suspects. Frank Smith is an obvious suspect because he was one of the last people to see her alive. He was also a very well-known admirer of Hazel's. Like, he liked her a lot. And he, I don't know. Who didn't? Apparently. Who didn't? She was adorable. But he also had solid alibis for the night of the 7th. There was a dentist who proposed to her. And so they were looking at him. There was a train conductor who was both married and also involved with her, apparently. And so they were looking at him. Her uncle, William Taylor, was one of the suspects. He was a very difficult man, not extremely well-liked, which is one of the reasons why Willie ran away. He was probably very, maybe even abusive, maybe hard on him, you know, something like that. 
And then there was, this is my favorite because I could not find anything else about this guy. Henry Camrath was a millionaire resort owner in the area who had sex slaves and held orgies at his resort. I, I wanted so desperately to find more information about this guy. I could not find anything. What's his last name? Henry. Camrath. K-A-M-R-A-T-H. That sounds like people talking. Maybe. Maybe. Was he Jewish? <laughs> I don't know. And then there is the theory that she was a sex worker and was killed by one of her johns. It was never proven who killed Hazel Drew. It was never, ever decided. It was, um, it was a very uh, popular case. Like, it spanned the country and as far as news articles went, but then it died out rather quickly. Like, if you were to look it up today, I went down this rabbit hole of research because it's like all the timelines are all wild and, and all over the place and they just pick up like pieces of it and tell you pieces of it and, and I had to kind of like find it all put together and it was it was it was wild but the thing that people remember most about Hazel Drew is that she was the inspiration for Twin Peaks Twin Peaks mm. she was the inspiration for Laura Palmer so the reason that is is because Mark Frost who was the main creator for with David Lynch the main creator for Twin Peaks he was inspired by this because he lived he would visit his grandmother who lived in that area and she would tell him about Hazel Drew as kind of a cautionary tale like don't walk alone at night you might get taken like Hazel Drew you know things like that or as a ghost story like she was a ghost that still haunted Teal Pond and so Mark Frost had heard about this beautiful blonde girl who was found in a lake and everything like that and so he he used it and if and it's hilarious it's not hilarious that's not the right word I wanted to use it's it's odd because if you look at the picture that they have of Hazel Drew and then the the graduation photo of Laura Palmer, the main character from Twin Peaks, and you look at it, it looks like her. Like mm. they're both blondes and their blonde hair is piled on top of their head because Hazel Drew lived in the 1900s and Laura Palmer was, you know, graduation, whatever, an updo. But you can tell that it's like a direct inspiration for it. So it inspired Twin Peaks. It also inspired a gentleman named John Holzer. He, he did a documentary on her. And I would like to watch this documentary, but I'd have to get a copy of it. It's not streaming anywhere hmm. that I could tell. He did a documentary on it. And he went back to the area and talked to historians. And he did a lot of research and stuff like that. And while he was filming it and talking to all these old timers and stuff like that, he got a call while he was filming from a Californian professor who was part of a prominent family in Troy, which was a nearby town. And, he, and the caller said that his grandfather killed Hazel. Oh. And so he supposedly, again, you have to watch the documentary to find out, has the confession of who killed Hazel Drew. Hmm. I wonder why he would have killed her. Uh, as, so, I mean, my money's on, he was trying to rape her and she yeah. didn't want it and he killed her. Because that seems to be the case with most women. Or, I mean, there could just be, she was clearly favored by lots of gentlemen. Yes. And gentlemen tend to get jealous. Yes, that could so, be the case. I mean, it could be something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Or it could be or someone was putting her right because she's a whore. Oh, that's not right. It's like not that. right. I don't believe that. I'm yeah. saying that that it would be motivation for people. Well, I don't think that was the case only because of, for all her outward appearance, like Hazel was seen as a very, like she was a beloved character of the community. You know, she, she was this uh, governess. She took care of children. She was... Willie adored her. She was like, Willie was her favorite person in her entire family. And and she was very protective of him and things like that. And she wasn't like, she wasn't like the the town. Bicycle? Yes. (laughs) I didn't want to to throw out any terms like that. But 
that's not how that's what that's what was so revealing about this case is that all these other secrets came out about her the whole trying to go to lake george but not telling who she was with and you know using that as some kind of subterfuge or the pin pal letters with ces you know i mean all those stuff came out after she died and nobody suspected it hmm. so that probably was not the case as far as her death is concerned i'm guessing it is more of a someone saw her alone and thought he could take advantage and she put up a fight that would be my guess which just imagine that so we've got a a woman leading a clearly very interesting life mm. and then this is some random act yeah that that does it how unfortunate she seemed real cool yeah she seemed like a cool chick i love the whole uh i don't know why but this like romanticized vision of you know like she's a governess and mm. all you know but She's not. <laughs> no, that's absolutely Like, she true. gets around. She's got, she's got, she had a lot of secrets. And again, that is another playback to Twin Peaks, because that's what happens with Twin Peaks, is a girl dies who is homecoming queen and, you know, smartest girl around and stuff like that, and then you find out all this, like, crazy stuff that's going on in the background. I've never seen Twin Peaks. The seasons from the... The originals. The originals were very good. I had really wasn't crazy about the new ones that are out. But maybe I should give them another try. I don't know. I love I've never seen one. the original either but what? i always wanted to and when you rewatched it yeah I guess it's not recently anymore but when you did i'm like ooh, i really have always meant to watch that for some reason i thought we yeah. watched it together no. i thought i thought that's something surely you would have seen it is it is definitely right up my alley and it's you yes. know like and it's, it's only like two iconic seasons. and it's like, like it's like two or three seasons it's yeah. really short you guys should just put in the time and do it Show we do sources? Let's do sources. My sources are ID's Twisted Sisters, Season 2, Episode 5. And uh, the New York Times article, Sister of Dead Long Island Teenager Offers Accounts of Killing in Exorcism by John T. McQuinston. Do you remember when, you know, like they made those snappy, you know, article titles and now it's just like, yeah, this is what happened. <laughs> My sources were hazeldrew.com, which from, I believe, is John Holzer's actual website where he talks about his documentary and stuff like that, too. And then the newyorkdailynews.com. And that's it. That's it. So, if you enjoyed Murder Brunch, be sure to check out our Patreon page. For only $5 a month, you get a whole bunch of extra stuff. We post our recipes for our drinks, our cocktails, and an extra story every month. As well as our unaired pilot that nobody has heard. I've heard it. <laughs> um, That's my favorite joke now. I know. Favorite I know. joke. And it's always funny. <laughs> you find us on patreon.com slash murderbrunch. I'm also going to put up some excerpts from our episodes that didn't make it into the, the edited version. Um, that, are just, that are just too good <laughs> to let go of. So. Because I'm sure we come across as very succinct people that oh, sure. don't drone on for hours, uh, but we do. We've been here for three days. <laughs> yes. And then, of course, if you want to find us on any of our socials, we're all over the place. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And a website. And a website. And you can find us basically by searching for Burger Brunch. Most importantly, email us, murderbrunchbunch at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Yes, that and subscribe and review is always very good for us. So anything else? That's it. So next time, uh, join us for more mayhem. More murder. More snacks. Bye. 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 No, bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. See ya.